Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I... <laughs> Leaves the whole reply. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I know that looks awesome. I cannot wait for that. And did you watch? Did you watch the sessions yet? I did. I watched the sessions. I love that one too. That was beautiful, and it it totally defeats my line because I have this line right. It's my kind of go to line right now. You know, is I may, <laughs> I. I do something where I say something about Helen Hunt movies. And it's always kind of a joke, you know. Uh-huh. Like, you know, say something completely random and maybe a little bit off color. Go ahead. I Go don't ahead. know what that is. Oh, yeah, that was, a, that was great. It was a Helen Hunt movie. You see what I mean? Like, if, it, if yours had been, you know, better, then I don't know what that is. My, my witty Helen Hunt retort would have been funny. And it, it works, like, in, when you're riffing. It, it would have been. It would. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So no, I'm just saying. Now that I've seen the sessions, all bets are off on my on my new line because that looks like a wonderful uh, film, and she plays a, as far as I can tell, a what's the word, a sex surrogate, Sur- <laughs> surrogate, and that trumps anything that I could say about Hunt movies from now on. So I need to find a new. Uh, a new actress or actor about but I'm thinking maybe Holly Hunter may replace Helen Hunt. Holly Hunter. Yeah. The, uh, what was the thing? Because it's a thing with broadcast. Week? It's a broadcast news thing, you know, because every relationship you're either a, you're either a, a William Hurt or a, or a Holly Hunter, which are you in, in your relationship with your wife? Are you William Hurt or, or Holly Hunter? What about Albert Brooks? <laughs> or, or Albert Brooks. As long as we're going alternative lifestyle. Uh, who are you? I think I think I think you're the Albert Brooks because your wife is definitely the Holly Hunter <laughs> yes, in your relationship. Is. As is mine. I'm the William Hurt. I'm the kind of uh, empty suit, um, but but I always <laughs> always did well on camera. Not a lot, not a lot behind the the ears, between uh, the ears. See what I mean? <laughs> uh, or behind. <laughs> There's a lot behind the ears because she's usually standing right behind me. God, it's too bad she doesn't listen to the show because that was a that was a terrific uh, compliment. It would have been yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Okay. Are we rolling yet or no? Oh yeah, we've been rolling since the Have we really? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, no. I let me. I just uh, you caught me in the middle of watching Seven Psychopaths, and that is. Let me just tell you, I was a big fan of In Bruges. That that movie totally surprised me. It Great was not movie. it was not what I thought it was going to be. The trailer totally screwed up that movie. Don't you think that's one of those movies where the trailer messed it up? I don't think I saw the trailer for that actually. You should you should not so see I it now because it would say, mess it up. I just I saw it because I saw the short film 
that the director won an Academy Award for. And um, I, I saw that short film. And I'm like, God, that was great. It was on like a compilation of Oscar winning shorts or something. And so I tracked down in Bruges and watched it. And yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, God, it was fantastic. And that was uh, Colin Farrell with his actual accent, I think. Right? Yeah, which he rarely was, happens. Rarely so, happens. it looks like it's happening again in, in Bruges. That, I mean, in um, Seven Psychopaths. That was going to be my comment. And uh, also William H. Macy with his uh, natural accent, as William far as H. we know. Macy? What's his natural accent? Uh, exactly what he sounds like all the time. <laughs> it was it was pioneered in Jurassic Park uh, 4, 5, 3. three. three. <laughs> I really look forward to that. This movie, and let me tell you, the other one, uh, the guy who's on my list is, uh, well, first of all, Tom Waits. I mean, come on, but Sam Rockwell. Uh, I, I mean, you can't go wrong. You have Colin Farrell, <laughs> Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, Christopher, Christopher Walken, Walken, Tom Waits, Abby Cornish, and then you've got your Bond girl, which they conveniently point out, Olga yes, Karenyenko. Yes. Is it Karolenko? Karolenko. Karolenko. And Zelko, Zelko Ivanic. Yes, Jelko, yes, let's not Jelko, forget. Who is awesome. All, always awesome. The this star is of the Bourne Ultimatum. I mean, the, the Bourne, which one was <laughs> the Bourne Legacy? I can't <laughs> wait for this movie. Writer's uh, Martin McDonough uh, is uh, really, he's just a writer-director. He is, mm-hmm. uh, right, and Martin McDonough looks fantastic. So see this movie. And the other one in the sessions is, uh, um, uh, let's see, I, I who love is that? Talk John Yes. I, I, he's, I'm a huge fan of him. I I ran into him at uh, out in L.A. at one point, and we chatted. And I mean, he's just a great guy. He's so down to earth, and he's just fantastic. And just seeing him getting bigger and bigger roles and Oscar nominations and everything, I mean, God, it's just fantastic to see. So I'm very excited for the sessions. <laughs> I wonder what he's saying about you right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andy I'm Nelson. Sure I totally sure ran into him. Yeah. I ran into him except once. for the Oscar nomination. <laughs> everything else. <laughs> that's fantastic all right uh so those, those are great i um uh, let's see i have you seen uh dread yet have you i know you were gonna I rush out to see that dread no okay well i i thought that was one i uh let's see it was uh i think the master have you seen the master yet that's what i saw tell me tell me what you thought of it i enjoyed it quite i've heard really good things about this movie from people i like it's well they're probably right <laughs> This is what I'm saying. It's a good movie. It's it's really well made. I mean, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's really, really come into his own over the last few years. Um, barring Punch Drunk Love, with I mean, I you know I think it was made well. I just really have a hard time watching that movie, and I hope to never see it again, ever. <laughs> but <laughs> the rest of them, how do you wait? Uh, no, really. Great. And I think he really knows how to put a film together. And the film work in The Master is stellar. The story, the characters, um, particularly Joaquin Phoenix, who is just way out there. I mean, it's almost, you know, what was that movie that he did where he was like playing? It was like a pseudo documentary. Uh, Was that I'm Not Here? Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the beard. He did the beard. Yeah, he was like that alternate person or whatever it seemed like he did all that in preparation for like this role or something because he was so so crazy and he was great i mean fantastic i really i I just loved it it was it was a great movie it i would i'd like to see it again and then i think i would have to take a break from it for a while because it's just an intense movie Uh, 
Well, I can't wait to see it. And I've, I've heard the, uh, like I said, I've heard the same thing. I, I've, uh, I haven't seen anything this week other than the Avengers, which came out uh, on video on Tuesday. And my kids uh, made me rush on video. Out. Did it come out on video? Yeah. Yeah, it's out. Um, you, got, you got the VHS? I did. I got the VHS uh, beta. I got the beta and I had to break out the old top loader. I was going to pick it up on Laserdisc. <laughs> it's on seven Laserdiscs. <laughs> Flip every six and a half minutes. Uh, yes. No, I, you know, I like that movie just as much. As, it's a great, great uh, superhero flick. We had, we had an Avengers party on Tuesday night. I'm not kidding. We had nachos with crab meat on them. That sounds so gross. Oh, so good. No, no, no. It's crab meat on the on the chips, on the Juanitas. Got to get the Juanitas, the I'm best uh, restaurant. Like oh, my gosh. You put the crab meat on them and then uh, the cheese and the little paprika and a squeeze of lime. I'm, t- I'm serious. I have just given you people a gift of my heart, courtesy of uh, Peter Hopmeyer, Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, circa 1988. That's wow. when I. That's when I learned this. Tell you what. Next time you come visit, or next time I come visit, you make it for me, and yeah. I'll see what I think. I'm gonna. It's. I'm gonna blow your mind. I'm prepared. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's gonna happen. It's gonna get real. Are we? Do we have any other trailers to talk about? You know what? We. I think at this point we're we I, we have an announcement, which is the uh, we're doing another film board. Yes, and it, it may at this point that we're doing that. It this, may just be us. Saturday night, right? Yeah, it may just o'clock? be us because I haven't actually uh, sent the notice out to any okay. to the to the boys. But I think they know. I, they, I hope they know because we've talked well, we about did, it before. Yeah, we mentioned it last time that we were doing Looper, so hopefully yeah. they were paying attention. Yes, looking forward to this movie. It's uh, it's uh, with uh, Joshua uh, Gordon-Levitt, Joseph. Uh, I mean Joseph, and Joshua. He has the, it could be maybe he goes by Joshua. Sometime. I thought. Well, he doesn't in, in my head. I need him to be now. I, but I don't have enough Joshuas in my life, so I just rename other people. <laughs> and uh, you are Kevin. I'm um, Kevin. So uh, Joseph Gordon, too many Andes. Week, uh, right? <laughs> All those British cops. <laughs> uh, so uh, Joseph uh, is in this film, and he has the uh, the bad um, Botox problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Botox; it's a nose job. <laughs> he went to the wrong surgeon. Cannot wait to see this movie, and I hope I can get over that that yeah. bit this is uh this is going to be great and very much looking forward to that um so that's uh that's going to be live uh on the google hangout uh on uh, saturday night eight o'clock and that's uh, eight o'clock uh, pacific what time would that be pacific pacific time? time yes pacific time that's it for uh for announcements Fantastic. look at how fast we look at how fast we just blew through that blew through so so did you want did you get my email earlier do you want to talk about the third dimension yeah what do you uh, the uh, yeah third dimension tell me to... can you put an echo effect on that i can't really sell it I can, I can do that i'm gonna try that do it again just do it again i might cut it in okay yeah, here we go yeah. the third dimension there you go okay all right yeah go ahead <laughs> no I, I you know i was reading um an article about 3d re-releases and how uh, there haven't been very many and i because people talk about them all the time i think i have been thinking there have been more of them but really there have been very few there it started in 2009 with the toy story toy story 2 double feature which came out right before or like half a year before toy story 3 
and then Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, The Phantom Menace, Titanic, and Finding Nemo. So there's only been seven movies that have come out uh, as a re-release from a 2D film into 3D. And they've kind of made some money, but not since Lion King, which was the second one, if you count Toy Story, Toy Story 2 as one, since it was a double feature. They have not been making that much money. And uh, Finding Nemo, which came out 3D, and it's supposed to be great. I mean, gorgeous 3D, but it's not making a lot of money. And, you know, all these studios have been kind of looking at 3D as a way to get... Um, more people to to see the film and prepare them for a sequel but they're you know i think they're actually starting to worry now because they're not they're not it's not really working very well um at, at least with finding nemo so you know i think it, we're going to be seeing over the next year or so as they continue these 3d re-releases uh we'll just see how it does because i think coming up at the end of the year monsters inc is the next one being re-released in and, 3D. And that's because it's getting ready for the prequel, right? That's right. They're preparing that one for the Monsters University, which is the next Pixar movie coming out next summer. Ugh. And then you've got, let's see, I'm going down the list of 3D. It's it's amazing how many 3D movies are coming out over the next couple of years. The next one is Jurassic Park coming out in April um, 2013. And they're saying, they're not saying it's because they're planning another Jurassic Park movie, but there is talks of another Jurassic Park movie. Ugh. And then let's see, then we have uh, Independence Day being re-released in 3D in July because they're talking about doing an, a second Independence Day. And then The Little Mermaid coming at uh, next September, so a year from now. And then Star Wars Episode 2 and Episode 3. And... Um, uh, then I think, uh, well, through 2013, that looks like it as far as re-releases. So it's interesting to see where they go from here and if they're going to keep doing this. Because I just don't know if it's if re-releasing a movie that's already been out in 2D, just as 3D, just to help boost ticket sales for a new for a sequel i just don't think it's going to work well i, I you know i what is your experience with it? i mean what what are the what are the 3d movies because here we are you and i are we're movie goers we are goers who actually spend cash at the movie theater right we are sure. a prime target audience because we're we we like the, the you know that we're the crossover audience the perfect audience for the star wars and the pixar like mm. we should be perfect target for this have you seen any of them in 3d I saw Toy Story, Toy Story 2. I took Olivia to, to that double feature. I saw The Lion King. And I thought Lion King was horrible. I mean, it's a great movie, but I thought the picture was really dark. Um, you know, my daughter actually really doesn't like 3D. And inevitably, she takes the glasses off halfway through the movie and just watches the rest of it without it. So I kind of have given up. And then I did try taking her to The Phantom Menace, and she fell asleep halfway through. So... You know, I, I, don't, I think I've given up on going to re-releases. I, I don't know that The Phantom Menace is an appropriate uh, gauge. Mm, I mean, I, fa I fall asleep during that one just anyway. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right? 3D is not enough. Um, so I I have not seen... I saw Phantom Menace uh, 3D. I took my kids to that, and they, they didn't fall asleep, but they weren't crazy about it. But again, because it was, you know, that... But see, those movies... I wonder, I you know, if they are at the mercy of these compressed release cycles, because, you know, uh, in particular, we're seeing 
well, I don't know, these movies have been out for a long time, but my kids have seen them so many times that 3D is not a lure. Really, the convenience of being able to turn on the TV and dial them up, that's the lure. When they want to watch Finding Nemo, they don't, you know, the theater isn't that big of a deal. The theater's for stuff they've never seen. And even then, it's got to be a pretty special movie for, for my, my, my 10-year-old is circumspect about 3D. Yeah. Like it's got to be a pretty special movie to want to see it in 3D. She doesn't like the glasses either. She thinks it's annoying. Yeah, they are. Especially for kids who never wear glasses. But see, it's that's the question. Two hours. That's the question. And if not 3D, then what? What makes the movie going experience better? Because I'm, you know, we don't have, you know, I, we've got the, the Century Cinema Fancy Pants place with the, you know, Starbucks in the lobby, but. I'm not sure that Starbucks is making the film going experience any better for me. What is it if it's not 3D that gets you to pay a little more for the at the theater? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I love seeing movies in theaters. If I had the opportunity, I would see most anything I watched in a theater because it's just such a better environment for it. That's, I, I think, the benefit for people who live in big film communities like New York, L.A., uh, a few other specialty places like Chicago. North, North Phoenix. have those specialty theaters where they will have um, like a limited run for a week where you right. can go watch Citizen Kane or you can go watch Lawrence of Arabia or, or things like that, which I would die for. I would love to go see those movies that were made for the big screen on the big screen again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sure, I mean, I love Toy Story, Toy Story 2. I love all these movies that have been um, released in 3D except for Star Wars Episode One, but uh, but the fact that they're 3D is not going to appeal to me, and and it's not a special release. It's it's a release until people aren't coming anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I don't know. I'm, I'm hard pressed to to buy into it. I guess. Yeah, I don't think it does. I, I'm not excited about it. Especially I'm not if I they start only doing it because they're trying to tie it into pushing more money for a sequel. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Now, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of what I would see, rush out and see, and I was going to say uh, something like The Abyss. You know, if they gave The Abyss a fantastic 3D treatment, I might go to see that. But see, I would have said the same thing about Titanic. I didn't go see Titanic 3D. Yeah, exactly. See, that's the thing. I would say that, but then the reality comes, and it's like, well, you know, okay, that's three, however long Titanic was, three hours, 14 minutes, three minutes hours and 14 long. minutes, yeah. Mm, you know, probably not going to go see that. Yeah. Huh. All right. So I'm going to be very curious to see how this 3D calendar changes from 2013, which had, I don't remember how many I said, like, you know, maybe four or five. Well, it's a, it was, it was uh, between now and the end of 2013, there's Monsters, Inc., Jurassic Park, um, Independence Day, uh, Little Mermaid, Star Wars 2, Star Wars 3. So there's five movies being redone into 3D between now and the end of 2013. I'm curious to see what happens in 2014. Right now, there's none scheduled. There, none scheduled? Well, okay, so what do you know I mean, about the conversion movies, process? But there's yeah, none no, no, that no. are re-releases. Right, 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 right. So what do you know about the con the conversion process? Like when you take out, you, you crack open Little Mermaid, what does it take to make that movie 3D? Can you talk about that? Are you equipped to talk about I that? I don't, I'm not equipped to talk. I mean... For any of the Pixar movies or any movie where it's doing CG, you know, I think it's probably a lot easier because they can go back into the, have everything created in three dimensions. So all they need to do is modify it. And that's why I was really excited to actually see Toy Story and Toy Story 2 in 3D because they actually went back into the original files and they actually just 
basically created a second version of the movie, um, but just from that other angle, from that other mm-hmm. camera position, so that you had true 3D with that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I am curious to see Finding Nemo, but still, I'm not champing at the bit to run out and and spend you know ten bucks on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. You know, that's cell animation. Honestly, I have no idea how they do that cell animation in three dimensions. I, I don't know. I You know, I think it's a lot like what they do when they're doing a 3D conversion on something like Clash of the Titans, which was a, a horrible 3D conversion where they actually kind of just rotoscope different images out of the image and they put them on different levels so that you have kind of that th- three-dimensional feel. I, I, I thought Lion King actually the three-dimensionality of it looked pretty good. It's just I felt the picture was so dark. It was, it was just hard to see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I haven't been, I haven't been su- uh, sufficiently moved, so I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not a good, or maybe I'm the perfect uh, critic. Uh, we, none of them have really wowed me. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what's funny? This is, okay, here's an interesting thing, and then I'll, I'll shut up. Um, the Phantom Menace, for me, speaking again, personal experience and um, on behalf of my children, actually did more damage to my expectation of the next two 3D releases in the franchise mm-hmm. that I'm not as excited about going to see those. So there we are. I mean, uh, you know, I'm we're making a case, uh, you know, sort of weird case that that 3d re-releases aren't that great and and i i now want to see the next 3d re-release even less as a result of the first one well here's a question are you going to go see episodes four five and six when they're released in 3d oh yeah of course well there you go (laughs) (laughs) but but you know for the novelty of it you know what i mean like that's the you know here's a funny little thing so my uncle my uncle tim Mm -hmm. god love that guy He's the guy who took me to see Star Wars for the first time oh, uh, nice. when I was a kid. He just he's been all over TV uh, in Oklahoma because he was on a dragon boat race last or in uh, Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, because he was on a dragon boat race for some charity thing. Had as opposed a, to a dragon race. Yeah. Well, he was not different. raising not raising a dragon, but he did have a coronary heart attack oh. uh, that led to a six way bypass. Can you believe? Oh, that? my goodness. And the dude's fine. So wow. God, God love those medical people. I mean, there he was absolutely just crawled upon with a fire and rescue. I mean, if you're going to have a massive coronary event, this was the charity event is the place to do it. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. And so that's what I think of when I think of Star Wars. I think of heart attacks. And uh, so, so glad that uh, shout out to Uncle Tim that he's, he's doing all right. Yeah. Um, No kidding. Yeah. And here's to Star Wars. Here's four. the Star Wars. Yeah. All right. I got enough of that. Is there anything else you want to you want to talk about before we jump into our final our God. final film in this series? I can't believe it. It feels like we've been doing this for months. We oh, right. we, yes, we have. <laughs> uh, it's been a great two months. It's been a great two months exploring uh, the films of uh, Richard D. Zanuck. It really has. It really has. Uh, we've come a long way with uh, with uh, Dick. And uh, and this is uh, we're, tonight we're going to be talking about um, the fantastic 2007 Sweeney Todd, uh, Tim Burton film starring Johnny Depp, and uh, uh, my favorite. I love it. Uh, I love it. Helena Helena so Bonham Carter. Here's a question. Yes, you. yes, please. Did you know that the story of Sweeney Todd has been around for for 
a long time, like well over a hundred years. Oh, let me tell you, I I did a I did not know that until uh, starting to look at this. <laughs> I did not know that it is based on potentially a real guy. Right. <laughs> that's dark, man. Uh, that's crazy. That it is crazy. Is crazy. Ah, uh, the good old days of bloody old England. <laughs> man, bloody England has their, I mean, Jack the Ripper, now Sweeney Todd. Yeah. This is, uh, this is Angela Lansbury. <laughs> These people are dark. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh, this is, a, why, you, why, do you, uh, why do you like this movie? Tell me why you like this movie. This, it's just, it's a, it's a great story. I, I find the story so dark. Um, and, uh, just this horrible story about revenge and how it really gets you nowhere except dead. It's just, I mean, it's this, it's this gruesome, bloody story done in this style that really relishes in that, you know, style. It's kind of that grand guignol style of just like, you know, putting it all out there, all this horror and blood and just, you know, you're not cutting away as all these throats are getting slashed and it's gruesome and everyone's singing about it. And it's, uh, it's just so dark and, and amusing that I just, uh, and I just love it. And I don't know if it's, it's Stephen Sondheim and how his, um, based on his, the musical that he had done with uh, Hugh Wheeler. I don't know if it's that or the way that John Logan did the script or the way Tim Burton did it or, or Johnny Depp performing it or all of it. It's just, everything comes together. This is the film for me where every piece of it, except for one thing that I'll talk about later comes together so perfectly that it's like, this is for me, the Tim Burton film. I, I think it is too. And I think in, in many respects, this for me is it, it cements kind of that pattern of, of uh, power uh, adjustment that we started talking about in the very beginning, uh, particularly the Xanax series, is it's this idea where, I mean, this is the movie where it, um, it, it's a film that most blatantly deals with uh, the transfer of power, the sort of the dark sort of transfer of power through in a classist uh, society, right? I mean, this film, it, it starts as a revenge movie. Uh, it starts where, uh, uh, you know, Sweeney Todd, he comes back after, uh, comes back to get re revenge against the, the evil judge who has separated him from his, from his wife. And daughter. And daughter. And, uh, and so he comes back to get revenge on this judge. But what happens right around the middle of the film is, uh, through his rage, uh, and the sort of tapping on the shoulder of his his sort of dark siren Helena Bonham Carter, uh, Mrs. Lovett, uh, it becomes a film about this just sort of blatant killing of the aristocracy. Yeah, uh, and and I love the way. I mean, this this is a movie for the ninety nine percent or the dis, <laughs> the, the disenfranchised <laughs> the disenfranchised forty seven percent. You know, I mean, that's that's where we are with this film. Is uh, these are the people who have said, and and the way they characterize it is so brilliant too, because you know the song in the middle of uh, where it talks about how uh, uh, this is um, uh, this is where those up above will finally serve those below, mm -hmm. and um, you know uh, as right. as their epiphany song, it, right. it, the epiphany song exactly, and they're serving their that when you know the 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 pies uh, as they're they're making the aristocrats into meat pies uh, the pies take off and 
Helena Bonham Carter's character, Mrs. Lovett, is now singing about how how wonderful it is that they're selecting these uh, these aristocrats who won't be missed. Like they have now genericized the the wealthy class, the aristocratic class, as to uh, you know to the point of of you know the, there are so many of them they won't be missed. We'll just let's eat them up. Wow. Uh, it's just it, it is not to coin a phrase. It's delicious. It is absolutely <laughs> delicious. <sighs> That was a good one, though. Well, it was yeah, it was good, right? Yeah, no, it's absolutely. Good. I'm going to put it right. I'm going to put an echo on that too. <laughs> so, it, it's it's a great it's a great dark story, and and tying all of that together uh, so well within the story. Now, I haven't seen the musical. Have you seen the musical? Yeah, oh, I was. It was. Uh, I have, but it wasn't like this. It was in high school. <laughs> huh, wow. That was a, probably a different version. It right? was not. It, yeah, it was very. It was not. Uh, not as bloody. And that was actually my question for you. That's. I think is the the sort of central question. And uh, and I also have not seen uh, the when was it the eighty four, the Angela Lansbury version of it because she was in the original Broadway. She was in the original seventy nine. And Broadway and then it was in the it version was, of the show. There was another movie of it. Um, There's been quite a few movies of it actually, which surprised but, me. But with her, uh, a lot. The first movie was a, a silent film in 1926 that's been lost. Then they made another version in 1928 that is the oldest um, surviving adaptation of it. Huh. And then there's a 1936 version. There is a, there's a ballet done of it in 1959. Right. There is a TV production done of it in 1973. Now, these are obviously not the musical version of it, um, in 1979 is when Stephen Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler had their version come out with Len Cario starring as Sweeney Todd and Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett. And then you had a 1998 version. That's the one you're thinking of probably that John Schlesinger directed that has Ben Kingsley in it. Maybe. Um, either that one or there was a, um, a version that came out just before this one, 2006, with Ray Winstone playing Sweeney Todd. I'm going crazy. I felt like there was something in 1984, but I can't find it anymore. Um, so anyhow, well, I'll let that go. But the real, the real question is, uh, the question that I, that started that, that whole thing, what do you think, um, what do you think the just sheer gore uh, that Tim Burton elected to, to kind of show in this, in the film version of the 2007 film version, what do you think that gore does to the telling of the story? Why do you think he he went as as gory as he did? That with no cutaways, no cutaways at all. I mean, we've got brains just splashing all over the concrete in the basement. We've got uh, very slow knife passes across the throat. What does that mean? What is what was his motivation it's, there? It's artful. That's uh, where I mean, it's, it's artfully done, and I think that. I mean, what he says is he was doing it in that Grand Guignol style of the, uh, you know, that Parisian theater back in the, I don't remember when it was, the turn of the century that really did all of these shows that were very, um, at the time, seemed very gory. And it, they they called it naturalistic. And things were happening, and, and they were depicting it as it would really happen if something, if somebody stuck a stake in somebody's eye 
or 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 somebody you know slit somebody's throat. They showed all of that on stage, and you're not cutting away. Your audience, the audience, is trapped sitting there watching this happen as somebody somebody bleeds out and all their blood pours out everywhere, and the actors on stage are just acting it all out. And that's that's how this this theater worked, and it. Um, it kind of went under, I think, um, during one of the world wars because they kind of people stopped going because they, they realized there were already so many other horrors in the world that they could see. It was like we don't need to go see it here. There's they're, they're everywhere now, and um, and and but Tim Burton wanted to capture that kind of style of that naturalistic reality of what happens with this this bloodiness of things and i think that's why he doesn't cut away like when we're seeing this the throat slashing we're seeing the bodies hitting that concrete he really wanted to do that because it just lends for this i mean it's a dark bloody tale and he's really putting us into the middle of it and then the fact that they're all singing about it really twists it into a totally different way so i mean i think what he's trying to do is just you know with the music because the music already kind of creates this unreality. Nobody walks around singing, you know. And so I think what he's doing is he's he's putting the reality back in by by forcing us to watch the gore. Okay, I'll buy that. I'll go with that. <laughs> it's a, it, it, you know, I think it's a good, uh, it, it's a, I, I like the stylistic choice. I find it, um, you, you know, it's funny because in terms of Tim Burton's style, uh, there is there's so much in this uh, in this film that really screams style with the the bold black and white stripes and the really bizarre um, uh, sort of clownish uh, makeup uh, the the deep dark hollows in the eyes that never quite get I mean it's that Beetlejuice sort of a eye eye treatment that never yeah. quite goes away even as they're on the beach you know it, uh, it we actually see some color and some light um, and uh, you, you know, that was an interesting, I, I find that an interesting contrast because for the, the vast majority of the film, we're in the dark. Uh, it is a very dark, uh, just atmospherically a very dark performance. And then, uh, and, and it's the characters that, that sort of, particularly Johnny Depp, who just has this horrific glee, uh, and he, he sort of lights up and brings color to the stage as soon as you, or to the screen as soon as he starts killing people. Uh, and, and their killing, which becomes sort of aristocratically indiscriminate. And mm-hmm. then we have the dream scene, which actually introduces real color and real sort of natural reds, not the sort of black blood red and, uh, you know, some natural blues, not the, the nightmarish, uh, shadow. Um, but it was the, uh, it's the fact that then Johnny Depp, uh, Johnny Depp's character actually then somehow becomes this vortex and sucks all the life out of even the most colorful scenes. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I find that such an interesting, uh, kind of a style choice. And I, I, uh, uh and, and so at once is it feels like this is, this is so not a Tim Burton film, not a, uh, it is, um, it is so much stylistically right in his, in his wheelhouse. It feels so natural. Yeah. It does. I mean, it's it's a perfect film for him to make, and I think he's lucky that he's working with such great material that it turns into, for me, uh, his best film. And you're right about Johnny Depp and how he moves through it, and the colors and how they change. And what's interesting, actually, is how real everything appears in the film when it's dark and 
and uh, through through the whole story, except for that that kind of fantasy dream sequence that when uh, Mrs. Lovett is singing about being down by the sea, and how colorful it becomes, yet how fake everything becomes. Yes, right? it, yeah. it all feels like all of a sudden they're on a set. Yes, absolutely. Which uh, is a fantastic way to put the color in, but but not allow it to be real. Right. Right. I absolutely, uh, absolutely agree. Now, speaking of Johnny Depp, I know this was, uh, he's, um, he was the, he was the risk, I think, on this, uh, on this film. He had, now, this was his first musical. Um, He had, uh, he had done Cry Baby, but lip synced uh, on that one. And so this was the first one where he would actually be singing. And um, it, it was, uh, so it was a risk to get him to sing a what is by all rights an extraordinarily complex vocal part. Anything with Sondheim is crazy hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw a it was, now granted it was a high school production, but it was Into the Woods, and I mean Sondheim is so challenging to sing the way that he writes and and the the timing of everything, and I mean the kids were hardly paying attention to each other. They were so focused on the conductor's baton, watching for the beats to make sure that they started and stopped at the right times because mm-hmm. it's a, such a complex thing to sing. So yeah, coming into a Stephen Sondheim work for Johnny Depp, who's never sung before, I mean, it was a hard thing. I think, uh, you know, Into the Woods was a good 10, 11 years after uh, Sweeney Todd. And, and in many respects, I think uh, Sondheim mellowed over the years, I mean, Sweeney Todd is is uh, it's just sort of uh, a list complex musical theater, and and uh, the the demands the uh, on on just pitch perfect accuracy uh, for for this thing are really uh, they're very high, and and uh, so I you know I think uh, boy I think old Johnny Depp nailed it. The thing that I like about it, because I've, I've seen some reviews on on his voice in particular, because uh, because of that concern. Yeah. And regardless of whether people thought he sang um, like he, I mean, I think everybody kind of agreed that he hit the notes and everything. They all, and regardless of what they thought of the performance, most of which I think were all positive, they all said even if even if he doesn't sound like somebody who is meant to be singing. He brings so much character to that, and he hits the notes, and he makes he brings that character to life through the through the singing, and it really was amazing. Uh, and it's it's because you, you can hear almost like this, this like he's ready to explode, like right behind his voice. There's just this this edge to it all the way through. That is, I mean, it just it feels dangerous when he sings. Yes. Oh, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that that what I, you know, the grit that he brings to that performance is that same sort of, um, uh, what I like so much about it is the, the grit that comes to his uh, dramatic performances uh, is absolutely characterized in his voice. Mm-hmm. And okay, so in, in the example, the, the counter example would be uh, the boy, uh, what's his name, Anthony? Oh, Anthony, the, right? Anthony, the young, the kid, the, the young, young boy, uh, the yeah, yeah, the helper, the meat pie, the, the newcomer. No, the, oh no, that's that's uh, Toby. Toby, there. Okay, Anthony, Anthony, Anthony is, is the, the blonde one who guy. With him on the yeah, ship. yeah, that's right, that's right. All right, I get them all confusing. The funny accents. Uh, so uh, Toby is is the example when he is singing. Uh, no harm will come to you, ma'am. 
yeah, nothing's going to harm you. you right? Nothing's going to harm you, right? That is uh, that is a great example of a kid who um, has a different voice than a character. You know what I mean? Like he is an angelic, uh, sweet voice, and mm-hmm. uh, and you can tell he's you know obviously he's a young actor and and will mature into that. But but I think what Johnny Depp brings to this horror protagonist is uh, is that sort of. Uh, that same sort of vocal range that his that he has as a as a as an absolutely um, as an actor of the ages, mm-hmm. uh, and this is uh, you know I I feel like as much of a risk as this was I I sure would like to see him do more risky stuff like this. Uh, yeah, like this was I don't know how many more Sweeney Todds there are out there, but this was this was perfect. Yeah, it was it was a perfect fit. And that's why I think that it was so right. And the film feels so solid because it was such a perfect fit for him, for Tim Burton, everybody who came on board and worked on this. It just it fit like a glove and they all feel like they're in the spot where they're meant to be for this film. I um, uh, do, you know, he is I believe he's still in the Guinness Book of World Records, right? He was the he's the highest paid actor. Is he? Yeah, 70, 75 million. For? I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, is that's a, what that's a chunk of dough. Made. That is a chunk he, You know what? He could afford to dough. grab a referee during a football game. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a barb. Crazy. Anyway, so uh, maybe it was, uh, gosh, was it? Uh, here we go. He has been listed in the 2012 Guinness Book of World Records as the highest paid actor with 75 million. But what was it for? Pirates? One of the Pirates movies? or uh, That would be my guess. Public Enemies? Um, yeah. Justin Bieber's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, the thing the thing about uh, about Johnny Depp, though, is uh, what, that I find uh, interesting is uh, it's just this ab i mean he just has this this history of of fantastic films from you know his terrific role as glenn lance in 1984's a nightmare on elm street mm. huh remember that there you go uh but uh gosh it was the um dark shadows what's up with that have you seen that What's that? It's out, right? Dark Shadows. I'm sorry, I lost you there for a oh, second. No, no, no. Dark Shadows. Yeah. What about Dark Shadows? Same makeup, dumber movie. It well, <laughs> right. It I, I commented on one of the posters for Sweeney Todd that I put into our uh, the Pinterest the movies we like Pinterest um, uh, uh, folder, whatever right, it's called. Right. Uh, there's a poster in there. I'm just like this. This poster could equally work just as well for Dark Shadows. <laughs> it really, it really could. Uh, it really that is very true. I, um, it's it's going to be it's interesting. I have not seen the movie, and I probably you know I'll, prob- I'll probably rent it just to feel like I've I've done something. The one I'm I, you know, and I'll just say anecdotally, the one I'm most interested in though uh, coming up is is uh, and I I don't know if I should be. Uh, but uh, Johnny Depp is going to be uh, Tonto in the upcoming Lone Ranger. Boy, considering all the problems with that one. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm I'm curious to see it, but I, I tell you, man, they are just, it's just having a heck of a time. Should be interesting. Yeah. Man, Army Hammer. 
Uh, well, yeah, it'll be an interesting yeah. one. It will be interesting to see um, how that turns out. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about that one because I, all I hear are production problems. Well, and what was it? I mean, you're the you're the production guy. Was it all? Is it all just budget? Is it? I mean, what, oh yeah, what, the what budget's it, just been skyrocketing, and it's gorgeous. Gorver- like had, they didn't know the production for a while to rework some of the script because they were um, concerned with where it was going and and um, wise and everything, and they needed to figure out how they could how they could stop the um, overages. Okay, let's just, I, I know we're not talking about this movie, but I just want to get this out there. What is it about a cowboy movie that has to, that has to cost that much, right? What well, is if it? you're paying Johnny Depp $75 million, yeah, there's, your yeah, first, all right. there's your first chunk of money out the door. But, but that was, this make, was a loaded make... question. This was a loaded question because you know what I, you know what I, I was thinking wow. was the uh, Wild Wild West. That's, That's a problem. Where you end up? It's where you take a cowboy movie and you introduce a giant robotic bug. Yeah. That's what I'm I so worry. That's I what I worry that. about with Gore Verbinski behind uh, Lone Ranger. Yeah. All right. So back to this movie. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter. She's fantastic. The moment where when she and Toby are singing that song toward the end, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much heartbreak in that moment and. The, her performance there it just it breaks your heart <laughs> as she realizes that she's going to have to kill the child that sounds so terrible but well uh, it's i mean but she does it so well she, she does it well. starts by this is right before she locks him in the basement <laughs> right <laughs> and, and and makes him eat there allows him to eat the pies with the fingers in it yes that's exactly. not a not a good moment for for him she's she's not she's not a good mother figure well, <laughs> do you know what? Her heart's in the right place. She just Her makes poor really choices. Is. Right. She's right. a reality it's TV like, show. It's like Honey Boo Boo Child's movie. It's Honey Boo Boo Child. <laughs> <laughs> Except she grinds people into into in her giant uh, meat grinder and turns them into meat pies. <laughs> Other than that, they're the same person. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, no, they did. They, I think she did a, a fantastic job, and that 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 bit at the end, I, I, it, when. You know, when they're dancing about, you know, living life and, and living life to its highest right before he tosses her into the <laughs> into the flaming abyss of their of their meat oven, their pie yeah. oven uh, is is a really special moment <laughs> in, really in cinema. The thing I love about Helena Bonham Carter that I've always loved is how she can go from crazy, wacky Tim Burton sort of lady to like a, a, a completely serious top of the top notch and i think the perfect example of that is when she was making um king's speech she was shooting that during the week and then on the weekends she would go over to the other stage and she would put on her bellatrix outfit for harry potter part seven and she would (laughs) shoot that over the weekend and then she'd go back and play the queen Oh, <laughs> it's like she 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 does that so well, and she can play those types of people in both ways so well. And I, you know, I've always loved her ever since. Wow, what was that? What was that movie that she was in ages ago? Um, a Room with a View. Ian a Room Forster. with a View. Thank you. That yeah. was the first time I saw her, and uh, I've kind of had a little yes. crush on her ever no, since. No, no, no. I I actually had the the crush on her first uh, before that, and that's what she actually got me reading the classics. Oh, because see? I was so in love with her, I had to read. That's when I started reading, uh, reading, uh, you know, books with accents. 
<laughs> and you know what? She's also in the Lone Ranger. I know. I have a problem with that too. Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Uh, so uh, yeah, she was terrific, and and as uh, ever. And I think it. What is this? Uh, I, I think at this point, did you watch her boobs? <laughs> I I didn't. I, I, I didn't either, attention. but it makes me focus on the fact that she was grinding people into meat pies. No, no, no. You're supposed to watch her boobs. I'm you, sorry. You know why? You know why? I failed as a as a as a, a film critic. I, is that crass of me to say that? No, and I I need to say that out loud because is that because she was pregnant because she was pregnant and the movie was shot out of order and she is on the record as saying that her uh, that her chest changed sizes throughout the film. Like, depending on what, like, they start one size, and then they get smaller, then they get bigger, then they get smaller, and then they get really big. So, so Tim Burton could have taken lessons from David Fincher when he dealt with uh, uh, Jodie Foster on Panic Room. Yes. Yes, he could have. Yes. Instead, I, I we've got the ever changing breast size. We do. We have the ever changing breast size. And I didn't discover that until after. So, that means I need, I'm going to have to watch the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor um, guy. I'm going to have to too. This, you know, it's 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 good that we have homework that we, you know, we've got to just get through. Exactly. Yeah. And finally, uh Alan Alan Rickman. Finally. Yeah. He's not final. We no, he's he, he's the we well, talk no, no, no. about other people too. We are, but he's of the of the big 3. Uh I wanted to talk about the big 3 because yeah, I want to talk about the big 3. Alan Rickman. Okay, there's two uh there's two things that he says in in this film that to me are just they just feel like they're carrying so much Alan Rickman weight to them <sighs> that it just it just i i love him all the more just because he's in it and one the first time is when he sees Anthony um looking up at the through the window at Joanna his ward who is Sweeney Todd's daughter and he, he approaches him and he's like, you gandered at my ward. <laughs> and just, no, I saw you gandered at her. And the way he says that. Yeah. Just so perfect Alan Rickman. And I, I God, I wish I could do a good Alan Rickman because I really can't. <laughs> and then the other one is when he comes into uh, uh, to get a shave. And I can't remember what he says, but he's got that pause. The way that he always has kind of a pause mid-word in his delivery I'm gonna have to figure out. Oh what no, that no, is it's and, yeah, no, it's well. I to me, it was uh, it, there was a there's some line where somebody says, "I think something, I I think something, something such and such," and Alan Rickman turns around and says, "I think not." Yes, the way that he does that is just yes. so perfect. There, no doubt, it is absolutely perfect, and uh, and it is. I, I he's one of those that I I. Um, you know, it, it's a pro. It's the Hans Gruber problem, <laughs> right? It is really, and it's it's funny because he's had so many really just perfectly crafted roles. He has he's executed these these just wonderful roles uh, since then. A lot of roles. He's been a very busy actor, and yet those are the uh, those are the ones that that just scream Hans Gruber, and and um, uh, you know that's. That's where, you know, that's where I I uh, I, I I found my nemesis crush, my <laughs> nemesis crush on Hans Gruber. Uh, but you know, he also he as as much as I didn't like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, his Sheriff of Nottingham was fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> with a spoon because it'll hurt more <laughs> uh it was I, you know I, I my my films that i just absolutely love him in are galaxy quest yes and yes. Uh, and it's it's really a minor role but i just love what he brought to it in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i was gonna as say the, the voice of marvin the robot he brought so much just pathetic depression to that character oh <laughs> so good but you know, I wanna I wanna highlight a role for him that that if you haven't seen it, it's a it is a a terrific film of a very different um, uh, different tone. It's uh, nineteen ninety one. Truly, madly, deeply. Have you seen this movie? I have, and I had a hard time watching it because of his wife's voice. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of has this like it's like she swallowed is... something and she talks funny. So. But he's great in it. He is great in that. I that he is really great in that. And I think it's one of those films that uh, you know it's just a very sweet film, and he gets to play somebody who's not uh, you know trying to hijack a building or or um, you know make things hard on a wee wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he is just uh, he just gets to. He, it's a very different role. It's worth seeing. It, and. I agree. I I really do agree. I just I I just have a hard time with that woman. Yeah. But also, I think Sense and Sensibility is a yeah. great role yep. for him in Ang Lee's uh, version with Emma Watson. Absolutely, uh, not Emma Watson. No, uh, <laughs> the other the other Emma Emma, Emma Thompson. <laughs> Emma Thompson. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a little more of an awkward. That was the film. <laughs> that was the Kate Winslet, uh, Hugh Grant, nineteen ninety five. It's fantastic. Great. He's great. He is really great. Um, so, uh, yeah, he just is fantastic. And, and there is that moment when, um, you know, back to this film, when uh, he is in the chair for the second time and mm-hmm. Sweeney is about to come clean and he is holding his right hand back behind him, you know, and he says he starts singing about how his his, you know, the years have changed him. And, and uh, you know, there is that look, that Alan Rickman look of uh, of just sort of awareness mm-hmm. and then sweeney todd begins hacking away <laughs> at his neck yep what is spoiler alert <laughs> man oh, i think i, you, I, I think I you've got a wee a nice slash across the throat but <laughs> boy that? he just digs right in doesn't he gouging and twisting and like he's there's a something in there is treasure and uh it was it was just uh, really grotesque and and you notice how there's this thing sweeney todd whenever he's doing this when the blood is splashing on his face he never closes his mouth (laughs) do you notice that always the blood on his teeth yeah i found a hard time with that what would this movie have been like if sam mendez had directed it boy i i don't know if it would have been what it what it needed to be I'm glad that that fell through. He was originally he's been he had been wanting to direct this for years, and uh, it was just not coming through. And finally, he left. And I, I think for the better because I just I like Sam Mendes, but I don't always like his films. And I don't know if he. I mean, honestly, I have no idea what he would have brought to the table. But I think this is a film that Tim Burton was just absolutely the right man for. I yeah I I've been trying to think about that you know because I. I, I was surprised myself that I had seen most of Sam Mendez's films because he's not one of those directors that I connect with the work like inseparably. Uh, American Beauty, uh, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, um, 
Jarhead, which I, you know, I think was, uh, I think was terrific. Um, it, I, you know, I'm not sure if it was necessarily because of some intrinsic Sam Mendes feel, but Jake Gyllenhaal did a great job. Yeah. Um, Revolutionary Road. I, I, gosh, I just don't feel it. Uh, I don't, this, this film doesn't feel like a, like a Sam Mendes movie. I'm so glad that, that things ended up working that way. Well, and I'm curious how Skyfall works with him behind the, behind the helm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think he can bring it to it. I mean, I, you know, he can, I, I think it could work with him directing, um, if he had directed Sweeney Todd, I mean, I thought he did a great job with Road to Perdition. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he can do it, but yeah, I just, I, I really don't think that he was the right guy for doing this. And I know he comes from the theater. He has a very much of that kind of theatrical understanding. So I don't think he's directed this, but I think he probably could understand it very well and probably could bring a lot to it. Uh, mm. I'm just glad that he didn't. Yeah, no, this was, I, I think you're right though. I mean, this is one of those in hindsight that just... Um, boy, it just screams, uh, screams Tim Burton. I, interestingly, um, he, I do see here on, on his Wikipedia page, Mendez is starting pre-production of a film adaptation of the 1971 Tony winning, uh, Tony winning Broadway musical Follies. Uh, and Sondheim. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, maybe he didn't quite get his, uh, you know, get his Sondheim out. Apparently not. Apparently not. Work out his Sondheim. Sometimes I have to work out my Sondheim too. (laughs) You know, I've only seen of Sondheim's work. I think I've only seen. um, Well, no, I guess I. This confusing because other uh, major works. I mean, I've seen West Side Story. I've seen if anything happened on the way to the forum. Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods. That's it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and of those, I think I've only seen, oh no, I guess I saw a funny thing happen on the way to the forum on stage and into the woods on stage. Every The rest have just been only film versions, West Side Story and uh, uh, Sweeney Todd. Gypsy? You haven't seen? Uh, I've never seen Gypsy. Gypsy? Hmm. And uh, the, the stage version I did see of Sweeney Todd was the scene that they did in that um, terrible kevin smith movie jersey girl mm. that's the only bit of sweetie todd i've seen on stage i don't know if that really counts yeah probably not probably not probably not so this movie how'd this movie do well in ye old box office it did have? okay not as good as this was a tricky movie uh, let me jump back first this was a challenging movie because it's a movie about a essentially a serial killer um it's got oodles of blood and people are singing almost the entire time they had a really hard time getting the money to make this movie after um sam mendez left the the um uh john logan had been writing the script and we should talk about him in a little bit because i think he's worth talking about um and walter f parks was on as the producer they were trying to find somebody else to do it and i think um they they latched onto at some point they got uh, a hold of Tim Burton, which is great. And through Tim Burton, who had been working with Richard D. Zanuck, he came on board. Uh, by the way, I did find, let me just take a, a side note here. I, last time I mentioned I had no idea how Zanuck and um, uh, Tim Burton 
came together and it all happened on planet of the apes the you know the movie from 2001 the remake yeah the the way that they came together is because tim burton they'd been wanting to make this version of the movie and Richard Zanuck ended up signing on as a producer because uh, part of it part of it was because he was the guy who was the head of Fox and he greenlit the original Planet of the Apes uh, back in Fox in 1967. <laughs> no kidding! Uh, isn't and that amazing? That is amazing. Yeah. So because of that, he he um, signed on to produce it, and that is where he met Tim Burton and came to create this partnership that lasted until his death. I'll be damned. So. But then jumping back into Sweeney Todd, so all of these producers, as as skilled as they are, still have a hard time getting the funds that they need to make this movie because nobody thinks it it has potential. It's you know a bloody musical, and uh, so they end up. I believe it ended up being a partnership between DreamWorks, Warner Brothers, and what was the other studio involved in it? Was it Paramount? Or 20th Century Fox. I'm trying to find it here. I can't remember. Oh. It ended up, it ended up being three studios that that put the funds in to get it, and it only all they gave was 50 million. That's all they had for the budget. Um, so obviously Johnny Depp wasn't getting 75 million for this one. Well, and it was well, it was a labor of love. Labor. This is the one where he said, "Okay, I'll I'll do it because I I like the story." Yeah. Right. Do I um, do I get to keep the raises? <laughs> I would like to keep. Did you throw in the raises? At last, I would like them. Arm is complete. I am complete. <laughs> but um, so even with all of that and fifty million fifty million dollar budget, it did okay at the box office. I see that it was um, the budget was fifty million domestically. It only made just under fifty three million. Four and it made just under a hundred million. So worldwide, about one hundred fifty-two million. So it made its money back. Um, I did see. Where did I see that other budget? I had another budget somewhere that had um, budget at seventy-seven million. So I'm I'm guessing that maybe their their advertising and uh, their prints and advertising budget was another uh, twenty-seven million dollars. Right. So I mean, they made their money back. It was a successful film. I don't think it maybe was as successful as they wanted. But it was probably as more successful than they could have hoped for, considering it was a musical about a bloody serial killer. Well, that's really the thing. I mean, it sounds it it starts to sound like we're Wall Street analysts. You know what I mean? Like it's it's oh my goodness, yeah. it was a failure because it it only made twice of its uh, tw- yeah. twice the budget and not three times the budget. I mean, really, it was a it, it was a risky uh, a risky story to be told. It was a risky musical to be made. It's a risky property. And they put quality people behind it, and they ended up making an interesting, terrifying, um, you know, really uh, cultural statement at the time that was, uh, I think, uh, ended up being a fantastic story. Yeah, it really was. Really, right. really you, great film. You, yeah. uh, I, Do you have anything to say about Sacha Baron Cohen? Cohen? Other than the fact that I enjoy him in this, I, I don't really have much more. It's it's nice seeing him in these different w- things where he's not yes over the top, you know, caricatures of people yeah uh, as he is in all of his own films. But like this and Hugo, I think I enjoy this side of Sasha Baron Cohen more vastly vastly better because he is a phenomenally talented uh, character actor. I think 
And and this this is the kind of movie, and as you say, Hugo is the kind of movie where you can really see that. And and I I think he's I, I'm glad he has a good time with his with the dictator, and and I sure would like to see him in more of these. I would too, and hopefully because he makes money, some money, I guess, on those sorts of movies. Hopefully, that's going to kind of push him to, you know, take those, you know, steps out and and do the more challenging things where he maybe he's not making as much money or whatever, but he's doing something because yeah. it, it's actually good. Well, he's got a, I mean, he's got that sort of Andy Kaufman bent. I mean, he likes to do sort of experimental comedy and and cultural comedy and challenge comedy and i think he's uh he's he's very good at it but you know i like these movies too where where you can see you get to see him stretch a little bit yep i agree uh let's see so you also Tim- wanted to talk about timothy spall i i we have to talk about Timothy. Spall. yeah all right go ahead i mean he's he's great in everything he does and first of all i think it's hilarious that in this film we've got three harry potter alum all working together again with with helena bonham carter alan rickman and timothy spall well now wait a minute i think there's one more hold on you keep talking i think there's one more yeah find out who the other one is but Timothy Spall, I mean, I think I first remember seeing him in Secrets and Lies, Mike Lee's film from uh, the mid-90s. Uh, such a, a powerful film. I just absolutely loved it. I loved him. And everything that he's been in that I've seen since then, I just, it's, it's just, he's never disappointed. He's one of those actors that just becomes the character and is not afraid to, I mean, he's not, you know, your typical Hollywood um you know, the, the, the Channing Tatum sort of actor, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a great character actor and he plays such interesting characters and I just love him in everything he does. And so I can't get enough of him playing, um, the Beatle in this and just the way that that smarminess that he has is he's, Oh, every, anything for my, my friends and neighbors and just all of that sort of stuff. I mean, he's, He's just so he nails this part, and I, I really enjoy seeing that sliminess coming out of him. I got it. Uh, Anthony Jamie Campbell yes, Bauer really. was Gellert Grindelwald. Oh my goodness! I know, and he's also in the Twilight films, right? So, right. Well so done. yeah, yeah, that's good. Good for him. So Jamie Campbell Bauer, I, I enjoyed him as Anthony. You know, I didn't. I like I said, I've never seen the musical version of this, but my understanding is there's a good hour cut out of the story in order to fit it into kind of the typical two-hour film, mm-hmm. and the big chunk of it is the story between Antony and Lucy, kind of their love story. Right. Right. I, and and in, know, in this film, it, seen it, I don't miss it. I don't yeah. feel like it's. It, yeah. it feels a little bit shoehorned in at, at the. I mean, I don't necessarily miss it, but it does. It does feel a little bit shoehorned in. Although it all builds up to the big uh, to the fog asylum. Uh, yeah. exchange which I think is just perfect yeah. uh, when he leaves the, leaves him leaves uh, Dr. Fogg to his wards yeah, uh, is a powerful horrifying moment yeah it really is and then and then you have um, Lucy and uh, and Joanna yes you know, last two uh, critical pieces of this Joanna is the is the one part that I always struggle with <laughs> in this film and it's such a it's such a terrible reason it's just her eyebrows look like (laughs) they're they're like bleached to the point where they're not there and it kind of creeps me out a little bit are you serious 
Yeah, isn't that sad? That's gonna be that's gonna be your thing about her. <laughs> <laughs> she's creepy. I mean, she's cute, but she's kind of got this creepy. I mean, if you look at her picture on IMDb, she's got. It looks like she probably has brown hair and dyes it blonde, but f- because she's supposed to have golden hair, it's like they bleached everything to this like white gold color, and it's it's kind of scary looking. Wow, I know that's tough. That, that you're, yeah, no, I think you're you're probably I, there's probably something there that <laughs> should be that should be worked on. <laughs> I'm gonna be going to a counselor um, yeah. to get myself through that one. You you that. That's probably important. Yeah. No, but she does a great job and she does a great job. And I got to tell you, every time I've seen this film, because I I completely forget when it builds up to that moment at the end when he discovers her in the trunk. The forget my face moment. Well, or just that when he's walking toward her with the blade. I'm always convinced that he kills her and I'm always relieved that it doesn't happen. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he's already killed his wife. And I'm just like, oh, God, not the kid, too. And it's just like, it breaks my heart. And then it's like, oh, at least he lets her live. At least Antony and Joanna will go on with yes. all these horrors. She's going to have nightmares for the rest she's of her not, life. Yeah, she's going to need to go back to the asylum. The the It is interesting that and we haven't really talked about the big uh, Romeo and Juliet bit uh, of of this film, you know. And, yeah, with those and, with those two, and when he discovers that he's killed his wife, and 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 then that that moment of awareness at the end when he, mm. when you know he hears Toby behind him, and he yeah. tilts his head up, uh, it it's funny that it's such a a really, uh, just an exercise in grotesquerie, but it happens to be one of the most sensitive moments in the film, uh, I think, but between those two characters when he is when he is bleeding out on his dead wife. Well, not just bleeding out, but this is a man who's who's gone so far down this path of of revenge where it's just twisted into this, you know, this maniacal evil. And it's almost like he's crying, he's yeah. sobbing yep. over. Yep. But the only way he can cry now is with blood. It's like he doesn't have tears anymore. And the way that those that that blood drips off his neck is like tears and it just it totally breaks my heart in the most <laughs> awful way, but yeah. uh, totally. It, yeah, it's a great moment. It it's, is a great moment. Yeah. Touching. And the music in that, I mean, again, Johnny Depp, he sings that that last song to uh, Lucy right there. Um, and there's just so much heartbreak in it. And just everything about it, just it really hits all the right emotional notes. Mm. It's a, it is a powerful moment. Um, what, I mean, do we, this is a long show. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. We've been talking a long time about this flick. Well, it's it's because I it. it's because I started so early. It's because you tricked me again. Yeah. So, do I you have any any more. other hot items? Let's do the hot items. What are the hot items? Your hot list. It's always your hot list, right? Okay. When I'm ready to wrap up, you have a thing. Yeah. I know. I know. Do okay. It. So this film. It's interesting how things have changed in film over the years, and as far as like the title sequence and how. You know, back in the old days, like something like uh, Compulsion, it had a much longer title sequence. And you really had this. It was kind of a pause where just kind of you have all these titles come on and then you get back into the story. And 
a lot of people nowadays have kind of left title sequences uh, behind. And sometimes you'll have the title, but nothing else. Sometimes you won't even have the title until the end of the film, and you'll get kind of your title sequence there. This film has a gorgeous title sequence that really starts off the whole notion of what you're about to experience with just this bloodiness, um, the whole concept of the, the slashing of the throats and the meat pies and everything, and just blood, 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 blood. Wonderfully designed by Richard Morrison, who's been designing... Uh, film title sequences for I, it's, it looks like here he's been doing it for over 30 years with more than 150 feature film title sequences to his credit some that he's done other than sweeney todd batman and brazil high fidelity vantage point which he's yeah. okay, uh, he's, he's done some amazing title sequences and um this title sequence i think we'll put it in the show notes is i think just such a stellar a stellar title sequence i i love the whole feel of it all yeah, it's uh I need to bring it up and watch it again. I I I don't know why I can't for some reason can't place it all of a sudden. You're what is emailing it? No, 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 I got it. I'm I'm bringing it up right now. You because it's a it's a, why is it that I can't uh, I can't actually picture the title sequence? It starts off with with just that great oh Takata and Fugue-esque sounding music of and the, the organ rain and it's the rain and then the rain the is blood. kind of blood dripping and we go down and we see it coming on the windows of yeah. of his fleet street barbershop and we see just the picture on the wall and kind of the rustiness of it but it's kind of bleeding and just everything is bleeding and oh it's wonderful it's so wonderful and you know why it's wonderful because it looks like rankin bass uh just a complete just like like one of those great holiday specials uh or or oh oh no it's the it's the who did the, what was the guy uh, ralph bakshi bashki uh bakshi, bakshi think, yeah. uh did the with the lord of the rings like it's that that sort of tone that hyper textured animation yeah. uh that is yeah no you're absolutely right i can't believe i could i i didn't have that it's just great and it sets it up so well. Yep, yep, yep. With the meat, like the when you back out the camera, like sort of backs out of the meat grinder, and you follow yeah. the the meat uh, down and it. Blood into the drains and just pouring out of. Oh, it's of, just perfect into the water. Yeah, it's just a stellar title sequence. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I yes. Oh God, the, I'm watching it right now, and the meat is boiling over with the blood. It's just really. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. Uh, well done. Well done. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else you got? So last thing. Um, oh, and, you know, okay. I mentioned I was going to talk about John Logan, who wrote the script That's right. uh, for this, which I can only imagine how difficult that is, taking a three-hour musical and condensing it into a two-hour uh, film. But he did a, a fantastic job. But he's written uh, just some stellar, stellar films. It's Hugo. Rango, two of my uh, favorite films from last year. Uh, he did The Aviator, Last Samurai. Um, he did Gladiator, Any Given Sunday. And he's been around for a while. And he's doing Skyfall. Mm -hmm. And he's also doing the uh, new Darren Aronofsky movie, Noah. So this is a guy who knows how to write great scripts. And I, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, God, Any Given Sunday. I actually really like that movie. And of the uh, next generation Star Treks, uh, he did Nemesis, which That's right. um, it was it's no first contact. Uh, it, it had some trouble, but well, there were some real. Too. <laughs> there, well, yeah, all right. 
it's it's all the bits that in that the weren't the yeah the, yeah the rocket roll like jamming out like. that was problematic that should I I I re-edited my copy it's just all Borg <laughs> stuff now it's, all, it's only about forty five minutes it's great uh, but you know there was some good stuff in Nemesis some interesting concepts and Tom uh, Hardy's in Nemesis yeah exactly it goes from that to Bane man yeah good okay stuff. all right last thing and this is I think a good way to to close out our Richard D Zanuck series. I keep meaning to talk about this, but I've forgotten in every episode until this one. There's a fantastic book called The Studio by John Gregory Dunn that came out in 1968. He actually got permission to follow like everybody around the 20th Century Fox lot for a full year and chronicle everything that was going on. He got to sit in all the private meetings and everything. He's sitting in with Zanuck and David Brown and Daryl Zanuck and just everyone there got to go on all their film sets and everything. And this whole book is all about his year, everything going on there. And coincidentally, he picked the year where they're doing um, Hello, Dolly, and they're doing Dr. Doolittle, two of the films that ended up being the the big flops that were the reason that Richard Zanuck ended up um, getting fired by his father from, <laughs> from the company. So he picked an amazing year to kind of accidentally end up being there. And it's an amazing story to really get the life of a studio and what, what's going on and what sort of conversations people have. So you know, going back to Richard, Richard Zanuck and his story and why we started this whole thing, this is a great book to see what, what this sort of person does, what a producer is doing conversations they're they're having it's not always about you know the best creative decisions for the film um, because sometimes they're just dealing with okay what can we do like in driving miss daisy what can we do to get this location what sort of deal do i have to cut with this person so that we can film here okay here i'll give you tickets to the premiere and i'll fly you out to hollywood for it those sorts of things and and hearing the the stories of of people on that side of the line it's it's really fascinating it's an out of print book but you can find it pretty cheap on amazon so i definitely recommend anyone who's interested in that sort of thing i definitely recommend reading it excellent uh, and who is that by again? It is by John Gregory Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. Fantastic. Um, uh, these out-of-print books are getting, that's really annoying. <laughs> uh, this is where you, uh, Google just finished the thing where you scan everything in the world. Just hurry up. <laughs> God. They only have a whole world to catch up on. Exactly. And get to it. Uh, I'm actually looking on Google Books right now, and it seems like they've already scanned it. Um, nice. And so let's see. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking at scanned pages of it. I'm not sure that I can get to the whole book. Uh, they don't have the whole book, but I can jump from page 59 to, for example, page 78. Oh. So that's something. It's like they're in mid-scan. Like, I feel like if I wait long enough, They'll more pages will fill in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this is, uh, I feel like we've, we, we may need to do just a little bit of follow-up next week where we talk a little bit about Zanuck because we've, we've talked so much about his, the films that he has produced. But I would, I would love to get your thoughts on, on, as we kind of look back at the whole series, maybe just 10 minutes, just talk for 10 minutes. Uh, about the uh, kind of what we learned from Zanuck uh, as a producer, because we haven't really talked much about that. Yeah. What do you think? Is that yeah, fair? I think we should. All right. And then we owe the, it to the man. We owe it to the man. And then the movie that we're talking about, we're moving on. After yeah. that, we're doing a new, what are we doing next? 
well, now we're going to, it's it, next week is October. So we're jumping into our month of horror. Have we have is... we decided which what we're doing first? Like who goes first? Because this is what we did. The concept we, was we yeah. each brought two movies. Right. We we I, I built it completely just chronologically. Oh, okay. All right. So we're starting with the thing. The... Uh, should I just read them all? Sure, do it. So the <laughs> thing is next thing, week, uh-huh. and then we're going to do twenty eight days later. Mm-hmm. They're going to do Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 version, mm-hmm. and we're going to end with The Descent. I, you ask me, these are four terrific horror movies. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're all great. I'm so glad you didn't bring, because that was, this was the deal. We each brought our two favors, and we'll talk about kind of who's, who's or who's uh, as we do them. But I, I was worried at one point that you, after some things you've said in the past, <laughs> that you were going to bring Saw. Let's watch Saw 5 and Saw 7. Because <laughs> that way you'd have to watch all of them. <laughs> Is that how it works? You know, I, haven't, I have actually not seen any of the Saw movies. The first two, I think, are, are worth watching. The first one's good. The second one, I think, is only good because it was originally not a Saw movie. And then they wanted to do a sequel. So they took this script and kind of fit it into the Saw series. Yeah, And by doing so... It it works as a Saw movie, but it also has a kind of a different vibe, which I like. Hmm. So, all right, maybe one day I'll catch up. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we gotta we gotta button this up. Anything else you want to say? Do you have any other last last things? I I think I've rambled through all of them. All right, let's be done. Good talk, Andrew. Fantastic chat, Senor. Via con huevos. Sí, los pantalones son en el fuego. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.